Today's scripture reading is not all of the plagues, but it's some of them. <laughs> so, Exodus chapter 9, verse 13 until 10, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that hail will fall over all over Egypt on people and animals and everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have, not, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I've, gone up, when I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail, so you will know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped. The rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray, because I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. <laughs> Lord, this 
story in Exodus has so much to teach us. Uh, the plagues <coughs> and the judgments he sent on Egypt. Um, this is not uh, necessarily a, a comforting passage, uh, but in a way it is because it shows um, how your judgment precedes salvation. Uh, but please help us now. Speak to each and every one of us through your living and active word. Amen. We are going to school today. We're going to school. You know, the plagues that fall on Egypt are God's school of judgment for Pharaoh and for Egypt. Pharaoh is the stubborn, unwilling pupil in this school, but he's not the only student. We see what happened was not only um, meant to teach Pharaoh something, it was meant to teach the people of Israel something. That they would remember God's great saving acts and that they would not harden their hearts like Pharaoh. Unfortunately, they didn't learn the lesson. They did exactly what Pharaoh did years later before the exile. Um, but that's another story. But there's a third group of students that the plagues are meant to be for. And that's us. Christians living today can look back on what God did to Egypt in judgment of Pharaoh and his hard-heartedness, and we can learn some really important things from that. Um, Paul wrote in Romans 15.4, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. That means that we are able to sit in on the lessons that God taught Pharaoh and his people Israel through his judgments on Egypt. So we're going to do that this morning. Now, God's curriculum for Pharaoh is stated in chapter 9, verse 16, a part of the passage that was read. Listen to what God says through Moses to Pharaoh. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. This is what God was doing in all his, his uh, plagues to Egypt. That God might show his power and that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now I want to show you three of the lessons contained in that curriculum. Um, there's so much in this section of scripture. I hope some of you were able to read it for yourselves as I suggested. Um, and if you haven't yet... Um, go do that after church today. Read chapters 7 through uh, 11 of the book of Exodus. But for now, three things, three lessons that God taught Pharaoh. Number one, the plagues reveal God's power over his creation. His power over creation. More than anything else, this is what the plagues are about. This is what they show. Let me remind you um, what happened, in case you aren't familiar. We'll go through kind of what happened first. Um, uh, God sent ten plagues or ten judgments on Egypt, one after another. Um, and the first nine of them follow a clear pattern of three sets of three. So there's some differentiation between them, but here's generally how it works. First... Moses confronts Pharaoh and declares, this is what God says, let my people go. 
Pharaoh refuses, God sends a plague. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God sends another plague. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God sends another plague. Right? Um, and each of those plagues is, we see some part of creation going berserk, going haywire. A lot of the language echoes Genesis chapter 1 when God created the world and filled it with life and set boundaries for things to be in place. And in the plagues, those boundaries um, start to break. What is going on here with my microphone? I'm going to switch over to this one. My microphone is breaking down. So, um, let's go through them. In the first set of three plagues, number one, the river turns to blood. All the, all the water in the River Nile, all the water that's in cups and bowls and dishes turns to blood. What's happening there? Water, this life-giving gift of God, becomes filled with the stench of death. Creation is breaking down. No one can drink the water. People have to dig holes next to the river to find clean water. Number two is the plague of frogs. So frogs, instead of remaining in their amphibious home near the Nile, come up and swarm all over the land. They get in people's houses and, and kitchens and, and Pharaoh's court. Um, uh, and then they all die and have to be gathered into big piles where they rot and stink. Creation's breaking down. Plague, in Plague 3 and 4, the insect world goes crazy. Plague number three, first, the dust of the ground turns to small, biting insects, probably gnats or lice. Now, in Genesis 1, the dust of the ground was the material for God's creation of Adam. It was a good thing. But now it's becoming something that, that, um, uh, that attacks human bodies and that makes them itch and um, uh, infests them. Now... Number four is the infestation of flies. Do you know how annoying it is to be hiking and have a deer fly circling around you? Well, it's like that, but there's hundreds of flies around everyone, just swarming everything in Egypt, animals, humans. It says they covered the ground. The ground was um, black. That's, that's what it was like. Insect world goes berserk. Plague number five becomes more deadly. All of the livestock in Egypt die, all except the ones of the Israelites. So animals, which are a sign, a creation sign of God's life and blessing, now die. They're dropping dead. Next, people and animals break out in boils, in sores. We don't know exactly what those were, but something painful on their skin. And then in the last set of three plagues, things get even more serious. In number seven, which we heard this morning, hail destroys all the crops of Israel. Right? So the weather, which should work to, to um, help things grow and to be in harmony with our work as humans, is now destroying crops with hail. And then... Uh, uh, in the eighth plague, an army of locusts invade the land and strip everything bare. Anything that was left after the hail is just eaten up. Every plant, every flower. Finally, in the ninth plague, 
This is kind of the climactic plague before the tenth, which is the death of the firstborn. We'll get to that next time. The ninth plague, God's very first act of creation, which was what? To create light, is reversed. So darkness descends on the land for three days. Listen to what it says in verse, chapter 10, verse 22. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see or move about for three days. Do you see how all of these judgments, in some fashion, scramble or break down the good boundaries of creation? You know, light becomes dark. Frogs invade the land. Uh, uh, insects eat up the crops. Hail destroys the crops. God has power over his creation. That's what this is saying again and again and again. And why, does, why did Pharaoh need to learn that? Because Pharaoh thought that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, was just another little tribal deity who would take care of their affairs but had no power over Egypt. And boy, was he wrong. God means to show Pharaoh he has power over creation because he's the creator. And so in Egypt, the Egyptians believed in as many as 2,000 different gods. Isis, the god of fertility who was thought to regulate the Nile's flooding cycles. Osiris, the lord of the underworld and the lord of agriculture. Horus, the god of the sun or the god of the sky, and Amun-Ra, the sun god. And you see how all these judgments show those gods have no power. The Nile, the sun, agriculture, it's all subject to God, the God of the Hebrews. He's the creator. The plagues show his power. Pharaoh himself was considered a god incarnate. And his role in Egyptian religion was to keep everything in harmony, everything in balance, he can't do it. He can't do it. In each plague, God is showing that the Egyptian gods are not gods at all. They have no power over the world. But the Lord has incomparable power over his creation. The power to create and destroy. The power to bring light and darkness power to knock creation out of balance and set it right again. Do you see this happening? You know, I think about the ecological disasters befalling our planet today. Extreme droughts, floods, wildfires, deforestation, loss of animal habitat, mass extinctions, ocean sea, uh, sea levels rising. And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder... Could this partly be God's judgment on a sinful world? A world that has, by and large, rejected him. A world whose powers have set themselves against him. I wonder. I don't know, but I wonder. In the Bible, we see that God's judgments often are shown through creation. Through the natural world. Through the natural world. Because God has power over creation. Well, that's the first lesson Pharaoh learns, and we need to learn is God has power over his creation. And the second lesson for Pharaoh and us 
has to do with God's power not over the physical world, but over the world of the human will, the human heart. So number two, through the plagues, we see God's power over human choices. In chapter 9, verse 16, God says of Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose. God knew Pharaoh would remain stubborn. He knew that it would take ten plagues for Pharaoh to let the people go. And in a way, God wanted that to happen. But that raises a question. Uh, Was Pharaoh just a puppet on a string that God manipulated for his ends? Some people think so. Doesn't that seem a bit unjust of God? We have to read the story carefully. Um, Between chapters 4 and chapters 14, there are 18 references to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. In the plague narrative alone, there are 13 references. I'm going to read some of them. Listen to how they begin to shift as the story goes along. 7.13, Pharaoh's heart became hard. 7.22, Pharaoh's heart became hard. 8.15, Pharaoh hardened his heart. 8.19, Pharaoh's heart was hard. 8.32, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, this means, by the way, he is stubbornly setting his will against God. That's what hardening his heart means. And then the next one, 9.7, Pharaoh's heart was unyielding. And then 9.12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you see the progression? There's one place where we hear back-to-back in three different ways. Chapter 9.34 through 10.2. Listen to this. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them. So what is going on here? This is a profoundly insightful window into the relationship between human sin, human choices, for which we are accountable, and God's sovereign control. On the one hand, God was in control of everything that happened. He knew Pharaoh would harden his heart. He used Pharaoh's hardness of heart to set his people free and to to demonstrate his great signs and wonders. On the other hand, Pharaoh was fully to blame for his own sin, his own choices. God did not make Pharaoh do anything he did not freely choose do. God didn't make Pharaoh keep the Israelites enslaved. God didn't make Pharaoh say no. God didn't make Pharaoh pretend to repent and confess his sin and then the moment things get better say, just kidding, I'm not going to let you go. God didn't do that. Those were Pharaoh's own choices. Here's how one scholar named Christopher Wright summarizes it. Pharaoh's own sin was his undoing. 
His judgment was the consequence of his unrepentant, unremitting rebellion. God raised him up, but his downfall was his own tragic doing in the end. In Ezekiel 33, chapter, or chapter 33, verse 11, God says this, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. That shows us, you know, that dynamic is true today in any sinner on the face of this earth. They freely choose their sin, and yet God knows the outcome. You know, maybe God has some higher purpose in this evil war in Ukraine. I hope he has a good purpose in it, but Vladimir Putin will answer for his sin. And that's true of any sinner on the planet today. Now, as the Lord shows his power over creation and over the human heart, he has one great purpose in mind. And this is the third lesson for us. And this will be brief. Here it is. Number three. Third lesson. The Lord desires to proclaim His name to all nations and all generations. God said, I have raised you up for this very purpose. For what? That I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And in 10 verses 1 and 2, He tells Moses... Uh, the purpose is that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that you may know that I am the Lord. You see, God seeks universal fame. God wants to be known by every tribe, tongue, and nation on the face of the earth. That is his ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is not to punish Egypt. You know, he loves the Egyptians. In Isaiah, I think 19, uh, Isaiah prophesies of a day when, when God will say, Egypt, my people, Israel, my inheritance, Assyria, my chosen ones. God desires that all people know him in a saving way. And we see that even here. God is a God of mission. His purpose has always been that all nations would know him. He wanted Israel to know his name. He wanted the other nations at that time, the Canaanites and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, to know his name. And he wants nations today to know his name. Russians and Australians and Zimbabweans and Chileans and even Americans to know God's name. The plagues of Exodus provide a pattern for how he does that. Because every great act of judgment in the Bible is the backdrop, backdrop for a great act of redemption or, sa or salvation. Um, but bear with me, this is really important. After the plagues of Egypt came the freedom and redemption of Israel. Hundreds of years later, after the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem came a restoration. And and uh, new hope. And Jesus, the, the New Testament speaks of Jesus as the leader of a new <coughs> exodus. 
A new exodus when, when he hung on the cross in judgment, bearing the sin of the world, the, the full force of God's judgment fell on him. And what was that for? What, what did that precede? His resurrection and his, the message of salvation to all nations. Just as it says in Exodus. And there's even an echo in the Gospels of the, the plague narrative. When Jesus hung on the cross, for, it says for three hours the land was covered in darkness. Perhaps echoing the three days of darkness that covered Egypt. Except now God is not judging the sinner, but God is allowing that judgment on himself. Taking our judgment instead of us. And that is now the message that we bring to all the nations, that has gone out to all nations, and that will for all generations. The name of Jesus, who said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. The name of Jesus is lifted up. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the creator God. He's not just one way among many. He's not just one God on your shelf. He's the creator God. And he's the one who provides salvation to anyone who will turn to him. To anyone who will not harden their hearts. But will turn in humility and repentance. And call out to him for salvation. And he is the one who will come to judge the living and the dead. In the book of Revelation, we see something very close to the plagues of Egypt. God pours out his judgment on a rebellious, unbelieving world. Plagues even worse than what we see in Exodus take place. The earth is ravaged and destroyed. Creation falls apart. And yet out of the rubble, out of the battle, comes Jesus victorious, leading his people into salvation, into a new heavens and new earth, where there will be no oppression, no sin, no hardness of heart, um, no plagues, no wars, and God will be with his people forever. That is the story that we are caught up in now. That's what we're a part of. That's why we come to church, to remember this story and to proclaim it to others in the world. So the question is, will we learn the lessons that Pharaoh didn't learn? Will we learn to revere God's name? Will we learn to yield our hearts to Him? Will we learn that His name is great and greatly to be praised among all nations? Do you pray, hallowed be your name in all the earth? I'm just going to leave you with those questions today. And I'm going to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a savior. Thank you for your power over all creation. Thank you for how you used your power. Um, Lord, how you came to this earth first, not to judge and destroy, but to bear judgment in yourself. Thank you, Lord, that um, all of the judgment that we deserve has fallen on you. You took it on the cross. And Lord, I pray that that would be a life-changing reality for us. Empower us, God, to 
Uh, proclaim that message to the world, the message of grace and salvation, because the judgment has been made. Lord, we pray that many would turn to you before the great and final judgment when there would be no escape. That many would turn to you and live. And Lord, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. As it says in, in Psalm 95, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. So Lord, would you sovereignly work in us to, to want what you want, to submit to you, and work through us for your great purpose in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.